Welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. We are live at Wild Goose in the Goose Cast Tent. Thanks to Russ Jennings and his hard work pulling this off for us every year. This is our third time back. And before we get going and go over the guidelines and talk to first-time listeners and those out there about what we do and the content tonight, Janelle, how do you explain the fact that maybe y'all can help too? Brian and Bridget are with us as well. That we have come all these miles, many miles. So we spent money to come here. It's hot as hell. It's muggy. You, you wake up after feeling like maybe I had three hours of sleep. You get mosquito bites. I got a yellow jacket sting. There's communal BO. When you go to the bathroom, there's always issues in there. And yet we do this every year. Why do we go to Wild Goose every year? Because we love all of you, and it's a ton of fun to meet you, and silent disco. It, that's all there is, silent disco. If you haven't been, it starts at 11 in the tent up on the hill. And it will be sweaty and hot and loud, but it's awesome. I promise. And my wife just thinks it's an excuse for me to get away from the house and the kids so I can just drink all day. I'm like, well, there's some truth in that maybe, but there's more to it. So Bridget, Brian, you brought your kids. We bring our kids. Our rain fly doesn't work on the tent I'm sleeping in. Brian's sleeping in a tent with a rain fly that does work. So you can do the math on that. But we come for beer and hymns, which we can also get in Raleigh. But it's my silent disco. It happens earlier in the evening, and therefore I can go to bed earlier. Brian, what about you? What does the goose mean to me? <laughs> That's sure. Go for it. <laughs> um, no, it's it's a, a way to, to meet like-minded folks and, and meet folks who don't think like me um, and uh, and get to know them and get to learn new ideas and um, hopefully be able to apply them when we descend the mountain and uh, rejoin the, the real world. Yeah, and, and I'm hoping for a lot of people, maybe you out there as well, and those who are online who have never been. Uh, I know my sales pitch early was really bad, but the fact that we have come back year after year after year does say something. You don't feel alone, and we have a lot of listeners out there who have they've, they've left whatever faith they grew up in, whether they grew up Catholic or Baptist or who knows what. We have people who are in the interfaith world, and they're, they're alone. And so this is a place where you feel like, oh, I'm not crazy. Thank God, or whatever you want to call God, there's somebody else out there kind of like me. Um, so we appreciate the goose. Uh, and what we are is we are, uh, we're brew theology, which is an alliance. Uh, we, uh, what we do is we brew interfaith theology. We create communities through healthy, meaningful, and eclectic dialogue in pubs and coffee houses. We have 11 chapters across the country. Janelle and I are based out of Denver. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to the website at brewtheology.org. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at brewtheology. Brew underscore theology is on Twitter. And then all the local chapters have their channels as well. And you can find that all online. And so we have some conversational guidelines that I think uh, create, well, they create a, less chaos, I will say. They're the reason why we're successful, I think, in what we do. Because people say, how do you do this when you bring people who are religious and non-religious and everything else in between? I said, well, it starts off with one. There's no soapboxes allowed, so nobody gets the last word. So I always say there's a difference between a soapbox and being passionate. We are passionate people. I think people should should uh, speak their mind. But again, we're not preaching at the end of the day, so nobody gets to put a little bow on it. I remember one person once thought that I was going to get up at the end uh, who was a new newcomer and sort of like do the typical well here that was great and all but here's what you should all really think and we don't we don't do that in our group everything you you leave some people leave just more confused number two respect all others and their viewpoints even if you think the viewpoints are ridiculous number three extend courtesy by listening well 
for everything is up for discussion. So when you do a copy paste, like with any content that we have, every conversation is different from the first week. We do a remix week and then Janelle and I do a podcast every single time. Our conversations are dynamically different based on the group dynamic, even though the content is the same. And so we're okay with that, even though that's scary at times, especially when you record a podcast (laughs) number, this is more of an overall, not even five, just don't be a jerk. And you can fill in your own word, noun, adjective, adverb, if you would like. Jerk as you understand jerk. So we, yeah, we have a mic. Jerk as you understand jerk. She said jerk as you understand jerk. Jerk as you understand jerk. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And I just want to start off with a quote from Buddhist leader Thich Nhat Hanh. I think really captures a lot of our communities. And he says this. He says, we have different roots traditions and ways of seeing but we share the common qualities of love understanding and acceptance the most precious gift that we can offer others is our presence when we are mindful touching deeply the present moment we can see and we can listen deeply and so that's what we do every week and that's what our other chapters do is that we we look across the table and we see real people that matter to us so theology is cool it's nerdy and fun beer is always great and exceptional unless you've had too much but really, people only come back if the community is being built. And so we do see each other uh, as fully affirmed from all walks of life. We'll start off with very brief introductions. And I always tell people, say, keep it short. Because if you, if you say, oh, yeah, let, tell us about your life, you'll get like a five, ten minute rant. So I'm Ryan. I grew up Southern Baptist Evangelical State of Texas. have spent the last 20 years deconstructing a lot of that faith working in the church from the Anabaptist tradition, the Methodist, the Jewish, and the Pentecostal. So I'm an open tense, evolving Anabaptist method, Jucostal, with process and liberation leanings. And I really just like interfaith dialogue and community. That's where my heart's at right now. I think it's important for the world that we live in. I'm Janelle. I was born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene and left that tradition seven years ago. Um, I had done a little deconstruction before then, but really have done the whole gambit in the last seven years so it's been a little bit of a whirlwind um when i pick a label right now i generally land on progressive christian um and i am also doing a lot of interfaith work and i think that that is where hope lies for our world and for the future i'm brian i was born baptized and confirmed in the catholic church and uh in college kind of cast off that all away and uh, after uh, I met my wife and we we got married we joined a a vineyard which is sort of evangelical light Um, (laughs) and uh, when our particular church collapsed we spent a little time traveling around we visited the the, uh, Methodists and the Episcopalians and a couple others and we we found our home in the uh, the UCC and we're very happy there so Brian and I met in Catholic school when my parents thought his parents were right about God. And then they decided his parents were wrong about God about a year and a half later. So we went as a child through the Presbyterian Church, the Evangelical Methodist Church. I landed in a vineyard when I was 11 um, and was there until our church in Raleigh imploded. Um, and so I did the same journey with Brian and preached my first sermon in our church a couple of weeks ago, which was pretty exciting. And this morning, one of our kids told us that she doesn't believe in any of this God stuff. So we clearly have a lot to figure out. So this is going to be fun. We met Brian and Bridget two years ago at our first goose. And, um, 
I'm happy. I wish we lived in the same city, but this is cool that we get to experience not only this together, but uh, the interwebs will get to hear this too. So community, it can help us or harm us. Really easy topic, you would think. <laughs> so we're going to go over this really quickly and then have a discussion. We would love audience participation at some point. If you, if you have something to say, we'll just repeat what you're saying so that uh, everybody else can hear online as well. So we're going to start off with the desert fathers and mothers. Asceticism. It originated in ancient Greece, referring to the rigorous training that an athlete would endure to gain physical proficiency in the Olympic Games. The concept of putting one's body through trials in order to achieve a higher goal resonated with the early Christians. The desert fathers and the mothers were small groups of hermits who began to practice asceticism of time in the desert, removed from their normal day-to-day -day lives and depriving themselves of normal pleasures in an effort to achieve greater communion with God. Uh, then we have neo-monasticism and community. Early Christian monks sought to separate themselves from the greater culture. While some monastic orders still practice the tradition of seclusion, today others have taken a different approach to monastic living. Neo-monasticism, or the new monasticism, varies in practice but generally includes elements of spiritual discipline involving the interconnectedness of the individual in the greater community of the place in which they live. Shane Claiborne and Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove are two modern religious leaders who have founded intentional communities living closely together, often in the same home, and focusing on the work of social and economic justice in their communities in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Durham, North Carolina, respectively. When speaking about working together toward a common purpose, Claiborne says, as Christian disciples, it's in the fabric that we are part of this body and we value community. Closer to home, the Desert Foundation, based in Red Feather Lakes, Colorado, is a group of individuals who study, teach, and write about the inner and outer desert in Christianity and in relation to the other contemplative Abrahamic traditions, Judaism and Islam. These individuals do not seclude themselves off from the culture around them, but instead live lives similar to our own and gather together to seek the wisdom and spirituality of desert dwellers in early Christendom as an effort to live their day-to-day -day lives with wholeness. So now we obviously have issues in community living, which we will talk about later. Believe me, we'll talk about it. <laughs> community living provides many benefits to members of the community, but it can also have a dark side. Communities can also be places of brokenness causing pain. Social psychology theory around in-group and out-group bias identifies these behaviors. If a person identifies with a group of people, the in-group, they will naturally favor other members of that group over people who are outside of the group, the out group. Furthermore, one of the quickest and easiest ways for group members to identify with the group is to contrast themselves with people who are not part of their group. This is, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't happen in your world, though. No, no, no. <laughs> this is where the in-group, out-group bias can lead to prejudice and discrimination based on race, ability, gender, sexuality, religion, or any other group identifier. Texas Longhorns. Oklahoma Sooners. Okay. 1972, research psychologist Irving L. Janis published a journal article about a phenomenon that is commonly referred to as groupthink, defined as a situation where a particular community becomes excessive to the extent that the group members have come to value the group and their belonging, their being part of it, higher than anything else. So when a group values adherence and harmony among the group over all else, this results in poor decision-making and silencing or casting out any who dissent. 
This can happen at the highest levels of religious leadership, all the way down to tiny rural religious communities. Time and again, we've seen examples of groupthink play out in situations as minor as personal, ostracizing, and as grave as group suicide and genocide. But there is hope for religious communities. While some would suggest that religious beliefs cause groupthink, Dale Davidson and the Ancient Wisdom Project argues that religion cures groupthink because it provides a framework for evaluating one's own beliefs and actions. Even within religious traditions, there is a divergence of beliefs and interpretations of sacred texts. Davidson attributes these differences in thinking and acting to the deep engagement with ethical and moral issues made possible by a religious framework. On the contrary, Davidson cites U.S. mainstream media as an example of the secular culture that seems to encourage groupthink by presenting only two perspectives or even just one perspective on a given issue, causing viewers to think with a limited capacity. The ugly aspects of community living make us want to seclude ourselves with a few other like-minded people and shut out those who think and act differently from us. But maybe that's not the only response. Maybe there's a way to live in community that affirms the good and denies the bad. And so what we just shared with you is our curriculum piece. So when you become a part of Brew Theology and start your own chapter, one of the things we provide for you is curriculum. So you don't have to figure out what you're going to talk about. You can just pick off a list and the conversation's already made for you. Yeah, so anybody from a theologian to somebody off the street can walk in, which is super easy. Now, um, this is the good, the bad, and the ugly of community that we'll talk about. would love your participation as well. You can raise your hand out there if you'd like for us to call on you anytime. So for you all, Brian Bridges, you know, does this monastic way of living, does it sound beneficial, attractive? Why or why not? Love or hate? I'm too extroverted to think monasticism sounds like very much fun. Um, I have trouble with like silence and aloneness for more than like 20 minutes at a time. So that part does not sound beneficial and attractive to me, but the communal living piece of it, that sort of new monasticism really appeals to me. Uh, I just have trouble wrapping my head around how to make it actually work. If, uh, if asceticism could include a, uh, a uh, reliable internet connection I would 100% <laughs> sign up um, I mean I'm a, a Enneagram 5 so uh, introversion is you know the water I swim in so yeah uh, a monastic way of living does sound very attractive to to me yeah I'm out um, living with other people been there done that it's all good I have a husband and three cats that's probably about all I can handle. So um, I love the reflective nature of monasticism and uh, um, definitely find value in retreats and, and making space and giving yourself time to reflect. But to live that way permanently is just not something I'm interested in. Yeah, I, I think I would have said yes probably 10 years ago. And then um, I had kids of my own and... And I'm like, oh my goodness, so now I'm going to add another family in the mix. And I don't like messes. My family's messy enough. So I have actually lived with another couple before. My wife and I did before kids. And we love this family. They're family friends of ours. So it was really good. But toward the end, I mean, man, like everything from, you know, the, the dude wanting to watch HGTV while I wanted to watch ESPN. Little things like that. You left the dishes out. Those kind of Now, if you have an order that says, hey, Janelle, you, you do these tasks this week. 
Brian, you do these this week. And so we, we actually know what's to be expected. And then you can call somebody out on their bullshit if they're not doing their job. That's cool. But if it's just sort of like, let's just live in this commune together, I would have major issues because I have become OCD the older I get. And Janelle, you, you know this as a friend of mine. So I grew up with a dozen younger siblings, which is kind of like communal living, just based on the way those dynamics work. Um, And we had those kinds of lists. Like my mom had a whiteboard. It had your name and what you were supposed to do that day before you were allowed to leave the house on it. But I also think that having navigated that many personalities living under one roof maybe makes this whole concept of communal living easier for me to wrap my head around. Um. It's mostly a matter of like who's going to do that with you and how are you going to find enough commonality to stick it out because families have to stick it out. You're kind of stuck together, particularly when you're children because your parents are paying for things. Um, And actually, my siblings have lived in groups weirdly clumping in like as some of us get older, some of us are aging out of the house and moved in together and have figured out how to navigate some of those. You have to clean your room. If you're going to live here, you don't have to pay as much rent as a regular person. It's it's part of living here is what you do. Right. All right. So obviously like anybody out there, I'm curious, done any monastic living, communal living, uh, found a benefit from it, or you're like, I'm going to do that tomorrow after they read about it and talked about it. That sounds amazing. No. So I wonder, yeah, I wonder if this is an American thing where like, it's the last thing we would want to do because we really are. I mean, at the end of the day, like it's, it's about, it's about me. Right. I mean, and, and not, not, not against anybody here, but like, that's how we've been raised up in our culture. So this is a, this is a huge stretch. So I applaud Shane. I know he's around right now, uh, but uh, I don't, I don't think I could do it. So this, that's my, that's our, Deb, we already went Debbie Downer on everybody. We said we wouldn't go negative. I said I wouldn't. I tried to bring it back up with the family talk and you just went right back down. I, I went down. It, it happens. We, before him we go, okay, there's a lot of negativity in this content. Let's make sure. And I took us there. My bad. Uh, I, and I, I, I'm, an, I'm a big extrovert. I love people. Um, and the, I, I think the idea sounds fantastic. So it would have to be a, an order to which we're all in agreement with. And yeah, I, but that's going to be tough. But avoid groupthink. <laughs> right. <laughs> Give me my own ideas. <laughs> Let me America my own way, damn it. <laughs> okay. So have you guys spent, have you spent extended time, because I think this is the value that the monastic orders bring. In silence, and solitude, contemplative prayer, Lexio Divina, those types of things. Uh, what did you learn from those experiences? Have you done it in groups? Have you done it by yourself? I know introvert over here, Brian, has is, is probably spent a lot of time alone in the wilderness. But on a mountain, I don't know. Well, we have, we have four kids, and I'm a stay-at-home dad. And they are all very extroverted. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, um, I have not had the opportunity to spend extended time in solitude um, although I, I I think that would be my ideal vacation. <laughs> he's lying. If you take him on vacation, he's like, how many things can we do? How fast can we do them? <laughs> and where are the trains? Right. right. Where are the trains? And where are the dinosaurs? Yeah. Um, I have spent... both of those in Colorado, by okay. the way. So great. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. 
So, so we have a group at church that does extended time in silence in an interfaith kind of way. We have a woman who has a degree from a, an interfaith seminary who leads a monthly uh, contemplative prayer or meditation session that's an hour long that includes 20 to 30 minutes of silence and some kind of entry point to that coming from a variety of different tradi- traditions. So Christian contemplative prayer, shaman journeys um and everything in between we've been meeting for i guess 18 or 20 months now and have tried 20 different ways of entering into kind of group silence but for 20 or 30 minutes at a time which is my absolute maximum (laughs) yeah i think one memory that comes up for me is when i served in university in college um, we went to camp the first year and we were given a three-hour block and were instructed to go out and be alone. And that was probably the first time I had really had that experience. And we were on the shore of Lake Michigan in the sand dunes. So it really didn't suck. And um, took my Bible and my journal and just, I, I really remember that time even now of it it having a kind of a special grounding moment for me that I've never quite achieved again um, by having that space to reflect on God and do those things. Um, And then the other one that comes to mind is we went to a church in Kansas City where the whole church went on retreat, and it was a lot, it was very wild goosey. And um, we did Lectio, but did it in proximity of other people. So Lectio is done silently, or no, was it Lectio? I think it was Centering Prayer, sorry. So we each did it ourselves, but we were in space with other people. And there was something about that that was almost perfect for me, um, of being able to do the activity and experience it, but know that there's this proximity of other people that are also struggling to find that peace and that space in their own lives. And I really enjoyed that. I think the problem today is just that we are all so preoccupied Uh, we always have this thing that wants our attention Uh, we always have way or at least I always have way more on my to-do list than I could ever accomplish and so as soon as I try to turn the dial down there's just this list of things and so I think figuring out kind of a a post-modern expression of this and ways to help us find that peace, whether it's in community or individual, is is one of the challenges that we face in this area. So Lisa shared with us that um, her and her husband went through a book where they practiced 12 different prayer traditions with a church group and were able to just experience that and find a really great balance with that. And it got them through a difficult time of life. Thank you. And this probably comes as a surprise to to Janelle uh, because she just thinks I like to be with people all the time. But uh, even extroverts who have ADHD need to have their wilderness time. And so I had a buddy of mine. He was, you know, and he's similar to you in this. He speaks that truth into me at times. And he says, you need to meditate. And so I was like, why? You know, like he says, it's good for you. So I I have done that. and It is good for me. But here's here's what I'm going to say after that. I think it's worthless if you don't share it with people, whatever that experience you have. Now, I'll have some friends of mine who will disagree with me on that, and maybe you will too. But if you just have that by yourself time, that centering Jesus time, or whatever you want to call it time, and you don't expand yourself and bring that out to the community which you are a part of and your family that you live with, then, um, yeah, it's I, I don't like what's the point. 
I could be wrong, but that's what I believe. I mean, sometimes the point is, and then you don't kill your family that you live with because you've found some like inner contemplative silence. Hey, by the way, kid, I'm not going to smack you today. No, okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so how about, uh, you know, your own personal growth in religious communities, spiritual communities? I know that we've all, as we shared earlier, have come from different faith backgrounds. Um, and at one point, religion was really hard for us. And we had to find ourselves in a new place um, as mutts, if you will, in a new world. So uh, have you, um, yeah, what, what, what fosters that, that spiritual growth in community for you? What experiences have you had that have been beneficial? What's worth sharing to the people out there? It's going to sound a little cliche, but I, uh, the wild goose really has helped me with some of that growth. Um, sitting under the teaching of people like uh, Dr. Barber and uh, you know uh, lots of lots of you know all all the people who come here to to do presentations and and listen to their experiences has all helped me expand my the way I see the world and you know. Being able to incorporate new uh, viewpoints, um, so being in this kind of community has really, really benefited me. Even though I, my first instinct is to run and hide and find, you know, find a, a mountain peak somewhere to to sit and watch the birds fly by. Um, uh, this kind of community here has really helped my own. Uh, like I said, worldview and, and just, just the way I understand people and the way things work expand. I mean, the first time we came to the goose, Brian literally spent the first day like hiking in the mountains with our kids away from the goose people. And it took him a little while. But then the next year we came without our kids so that we could plug in a little more and kind of find our adult groove. And so I completely agree. Like as at that point, almost like refugees in um, what I now describe as we're like blood cells in the body of Christ. Like we're going to stick in the, in the Christian tradition, I think, but where we are at any given point may change over the course of our, our lives. And so I like where we are right now, but we also have experienced a lot of change. And I think that the, the wild goose's kind of, um, ethos is is really good for kind of that that moment of needing some community yeah I think that that element is key for me not only here at goose but in brew theology is authenticity that you can show up in the space and be exactly who you are and um, that is supremely different from the tradition I was in where often the goal was to show how sanctified you are and how holy you are and I think that the while that is a, a valid goal to be working towards betterment and perfection in yourself I think it also can foster a lot of inauthenticity when you have no way to process difficulty and struggle and when bad things happen and um I have been moved many times at Brew Theology by people that have only been there two or three weeks that share something from the depth of their experience or from the place of life they're in with no hesitation because they feel safe. And I think that is, the, for me, the heart of healthy, good community, that you can enter into a space and feel safe and be willing to trust people with your story. 
Um, that's made the most difference for me. Yeah, I've, I've got another friend who tells me that, you know, God's not dead per se, even though he would define God a different way. He would say that religion's dead. And I would say, well, maybe the way in which you think about religion needs to die. Uh, and, and so I, for, for me, re- when I think of religious communities as somebody who grew up in the church and somebody who has worked in the church for a long part of my adult life, um, yeah, we'll get to the negative in a second. But I think the egalitarian aspect, the, the healthy leadership structure, um, I think that that has to be key because, like I said, we'll get to what happens when when you know, power does corrupt. But um, the times I think in my my ministry life, whether we're talking about currently within brew theology or in the local church, it's been when you invite people over to the house. It's been when it's not just a program that you do. It's not just a meeting where you have a sheet of paper and some questions and a nice little study and a prayer. But that uh, that person knows you care about them enough to where you're going to actually get a beer with them maybe a coffee, and then over time you'll get to know their family and how they fight with their wife and their kids. Because if you don't get into those rooms, then um, then it's not authentic. You know, now I'm not saying that you should be best friends with everybody in your religious community. That's not going to happen. But people in your community need to have that awkward, raw, sort of this is, I mean, it's kind of like the goose. You're sweating and you're smelling around each other. And you just walked into the bathroom and you saw what they left behind. That's what I'm talking about. You got to see the shit in each other's life. That's how religious communities need to thrive. Looking at the shit. So the other thing is, and this may be the depth of my sort of Christian upbringing coming through, but nothing can be resurrected without death. And so you you can't get to the other side of any hard thing without like real loss and real like going through the muck and the mire and you know that I mean the image in my head when you were talking about the death of religion is Good Friday and like everything was lost and it was all the way lost and nobody knew Sunday was coming and it was just they all had to live through that and so I think there are lots of aspects of community where we have to live through the pain and the awfulness of loss and conflict and death and we have to live through that in order to find whatever's on the other side of it. And we and we tend to rush to the other side of it. Like, oh, how how can we how do we hit the fast forward button? How do we how do we get to what's next, what's next, what's next without living through the morning? And so and when I say morning, I mean like M O U R N I N G here. Like and we we came here the first time, I mean, just broken like just a mess and we wouldn't have even come except my favorite singer songwriter in the whole world is dar williams i'm not even sure what her belief system is but she really loves community she had written a book about community and she was touring on it and i sing her songs to my kids every single night and we met her at that tent right up there and she pulled um the one who knows out of her song list she hadn't played it in a long time my kids asked for it and she played it for them she called their names from the stage um and it gives me goosebumps thinking about it like that is the wild goose that is the spirit moving and saying you are seen the spirit sees you so you know come find your people yeah i would say amen to that you know, I will say this, uh, that the, the programming aspect of working in church, everything, by the way, has to be perfect. You know, ever notice that? You know, like sermons got to be on, lighting, t- everything's timed, so-so. That's not how we do life. We do life with interruptions. 
so uh somebody has cancer and they die like that's that's right then you know if you're actually building an authentic community it's all the stuff out, oh, out there we, but we all we're also i'm, I'm gonna soapbox here i'm sorry we're we're also cons- we're, we cons- we know we consume a lot in our culture and so we we do like how community should look sort of on this outside right looking in but once you get in uh, that's not that's not really live i mean the stuff that we see is not real um so I, th- I do think we need to allow ourselves to have time for interruptions and i'm guilty of it i don't i don't do well when somebody calls me up and I'll, i have a schedule this is what my day looks like don't don't mess with that but if, imagine if we did yeah that would foster growth in a community too there's there's a reason why people leave the church all the time because when interruptions happen then no one's really there for them we're going to get negative. Here we go. But Have it's you also when, peop- when people keep showing up, the people who keep showing up are who build the real church, right? Like the yeah. people you answer the phone for are the people who know they can call and you'll answer the phone. Those are the people you've built community with. And they're not, it's not everybody. And so there's this weird exclusive element of it. And so, the, and the exclusion is painful. And so, and cause you can't be wide open and answer the phone for literally anybody, anytime, because we can't function that can't. way. I mean, I'm an Enneagram too. I would function that way if I could, and I will tell you it cannot be done. And so you got to find <laughs> the boundaries. I don't even understand what that word means. I'm reading six books on what boundaries are. One's a poetry book. One's a self-help book. If anyone has any suggestions, I'm open to them. No boundaries. <laughs> Um, that's just not how I'm built. It's crazy. Um, but if you, but community really is like part of it is this definition of who am I going to, who am I going to really engage with and do I trust them enough to engage? Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a really interesting element of that, of who am I going to let interrupt me and who am I going to protect from interruption and how am I going to work out that balance? So I think this is a great influx into the next question, which is, have you experienced negative effects of community and what factors may create a toxic community? So I think, because when we did this a couple months ago, it kind of went downhill fast. So if each of us can pick one thing, um, let's try that. So I'm going to riff off you, not to steal your thing, but because I've seen it done wrong. When boundaries are taken out of the church and are taught that you can never say no, you have to help everybody to the extent of their need, and that Jesus demands that you give all to him no matter what. When you take away all those boundaries, you end up with wounded, broken, bleeding people. And not only lay people, which often lay people, I think, often have nowhere to go when they're there. And then you do it to pastors, too. And we often don't have anywhere to go, but we often can recognize what's happening. And so that lack of boundaries, especially tied into either your spiritual well-being or into your spiritual requirement because of your call is one of the most damaging things that I think just annihilates healthy community. Ryan? Okay. I, I worked at this church at one point that will not be named. And over time there was another leader in the church and I, and we would headbutt. just, I mean, even if you looked at our personalities, you're like, it's going to happen. They're going to butt heads. Cause I was this sort of, 
free-thinking youth pastor in my mid-late 20s, and this other person um, was the opposite of that in many ways. And I had a, a come-to-Jesus sabbatical five, about five years into the job, and I took a month off, and I came back with a whole new philosophy of ministry that was more family-oriented, and it was more families on mission. And it was like at the time, like nobody was doing that, which is funny, right? <laughs> nobody was doing that. We were all just just do the youth programming thing, create this mega church youth model. And I'm like, okay, that's fine and all, but I think I don't think that's really going to matter in 10, 20 years. <laughs> and then I, I got uh, in the in the office, right? It's just the two of us closed the door, and this guy was, and he, and he wasn't my boss, but he kind of started to act like he was my boss, and he said. Here's what I want you to do. All that sounds nice and fluffy and all that you went through. He's like, but I want you to bring in the Abercrombie and Fitch kids in the youth group. And that's really what matters. And so, and we all know we gasp, but we all like, we know what what he means when he says that. Because at the end of the day, you got to have butts in the pews and you got to have money, right? So to keep the machine running. So I basically was like, well, this isn't going to work out. So I looked at my wife after five years of being here. I said, I think we probably need to have a, uh, an exit at some point. This is not, this is not functioning well. So when, when the agenda becomes about money and power and then targeting specific groups, and this was just within a youth ministry, but it affected the whole. I mean, the youth ministry was fine as is, but I think this person was like, man, if you take it in this direction, we're going to lose a lot of members. And you probably, we probably would have. Um, I didn't, I didn't see it through cause eventually I left, but I found another church after that that did give me hope. So there's hope at the end of the day. Well, and you would lose a lot of members and what you'd be left with is community because too big. And after Abercrombie and Fitch kids is not community. That's dollars. It's after dollars because the parents who can buy that crap are the parents who write big checks, not community. Uh, talking about a uh, negative effects of community when we were in the vineyard um i did not realize quite how fundamentalist the 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 uh that's not really a denomination but um, the denomination was um what we were in a small group and one of the teenagers in the group was studying biology like she was there with her biology textbook and she was talking about evolution or, or or something like that and one of the one of the small group leaders was like well yeah i mean do what you got to do to get your a but you know obviously that's they're just lying about that and i was like are they really and it was like record scratch like the whole place went silent and somebody was like you don't believe in a six-day creation i said well no i mean the evidence shows that and uh uh, yeah so no i mean i'm convinced by the evidence uh of the you know of evolution and um it was so we talked about personal ostracism what happened after that was the the number of invitations for our family to kids birthday parties and uh other community events dropped off considerably like that one day that one wednesday afternoon evening um and you know i i happen to believe that stegosaurs were real and and uh and uh yeah that was it and um it it, it wasn't obvious right away 
it was the 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 gradual sort of drop off over time and it it really it it hurt but also we kind of dug in like we are going to change the system from the inside and uh event you know eventually it uh it it just all fell apart like we um no nobody was open for for learning anything new uh, other than what they had they'd been taught from i don't know how long but yeah it was it was hurtful it was really hurtful so brian attributes our whole um sort of whatever that was mess to his um really reason really reasonable position on evolution um it was also partially that i was on the leadership team and in charge of the prayer ministry and openly advocating for marriage equality (laughs) um and against hb2 which was where everybody had to go in the bathrooms here that you were assigned at birth if everybody remembers what that was that didn't go over very well either um so it wasn't entirely your fault it was partially my fault also um so i'm I've been thinking about this question about negative effects of community and what factors create a toxic community. I'm going to bring my profession to this a little bit um, and also a little scripture. Um, and I I think it's the, the law brings death. And so, so I'm a lawyer. Um, and people are always trying to fix things in community by making more rules and then rules about the rules and interpretations of the rules. And how are we going to control people with the rules and how are we going to keep people inside and outside with rules? And there is... I mean, that just does not work. I will tell you, it doesn't work. I'm a, I'm an employment lawyer. I do company side compliance work mostly. Um, and you can make, you can write a perfect handbook and people will still mess that stuff up because people are people. And at the end of the day, rules do not fix people. And so you have to find spirit and flow and teach people to listen to each other and then find a path that's individual and circumstance-based and makes all kinds of room that rules cannot make room for. And so I think where things become toxic and what factors create toxicity is the, the drive we have for control, um, which we spell out in rules. And then we hand pastors things and say, can you sign off on these 15 belief statements? And next year it'll be 17. And then the year after that, it'll be 20. And then we're going to interpret those 20 things to mean a hundred other things. And if you can't sign off on all those hundred things and you can't be here anymore and here's our in group and there's our out group and that's the law bringing death. There's your soapbox, Ryan. That's good. <laughs> and then add to that the um, the the trend in the church of of putting in place leaders that shouldn't be there. Um, I think I'm going to add one more, and that's just that we have a lot of very ego-driven and narcissistic people that have become leaders in our churches, which then feeds into this system and destroys people and so i'm actually going to make it to question five with this believe it or not um so how might we work to heal a community that's been impacted by groupthink i think the number one thing we've got to do is we have got to own this issue of leadership and be honest about it and be honest about that we have put people in places of authority that should not be there and they may be charming and they may be pretty, but they don't belong in the pulpit. 
and they don't belong at the top of our organizations. And so if we want to fight this kind of thinking and this kind of behavior, we have got to stand up and say no. And we're seeing that very well demonstrated in our country right now, and the church has got to do the same thing. Um, because the damage done by those people destroys pastors and lay people and leaves them with nothing and that is not what christ has called us to do and so i think that hope comes when we open up those wounds and are actually honest about it and hold people accountable um, and that's really really hard work and i don't know how to do it all do you all remember the movie? One of my favorite movies of all time is Cameron Crowe's Jerry Maguire. And whatever about Tom Cruise, but Jerry, the opening scene, and he has his, his revelation. He's like, the company's taking on too many clients. I'm taking this goldfish with me. Yes, exactly. So he gets fired by the guy that he mentored, who's his boss. And uh, you have that moment of like, you feel sorry, even though Jer Jerry's not fully become the Jerry that you love at the end of the movie. Yeah, he's taking the goldfish with him. And people are left alone wondering, but it is a leadership thing, like because that company in that movie was set up to succeed in this very American capitalistic way, i.e. just like the church is today. And so show me the money. Show me the money, Jerry. Show me the money. <laughs> now, um, Janelle and I talked about this a couple of nights ago when we were having cigars. Things happened late at night over cigars at the Goose. And we had this uh, It's very simple. Hey, here's here's what we do well <laughs> this is the one thing we do well um we do, i think we do many things well but it's 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 uh it's the transition it's the there's a season in life that we all go through that we will continually go through in different seasons where we're transitioning out of something into something or out of something and it might not be the thing that which we all want it to be now typically in the church world i'm not speaking for all churches i'm just talking about conventional church it's okay to transition as long as you come back to these kinds of communal boxes, okay? Or, you, you know, you can doubt and take all the, you know, maybe you need to read a Peter Rollins book, okay, but you're going to eventually come back to the good Lord. Now, <laughs> what happens to people when they, most of our people in our community in Denver, they're uh, atheists or they're hopeful agnostics, and so... They don't have a place to belong. We're they don't sending have... our kid to you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're going to start up Brew Theology for Kids. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we... Yeah. But we, we realize there's the, it's, the, it's those seasons, though, that um, you have to... People f have to find a place of belonging. And it's, it's normally just... If, you, if you've left the tribe in any kind of way, whether it's um, you, you don't do the things that they do or think the way that they think, I mean, there's always something, right? And there's no place for you at the end of the day. It's like Jerry suddenly, like where he's just going away with a goldfish. And um, so I, I think the work in which what Brew Theology does, we actually do accept people and affirm them, even if they're like, I don't believe in anything today. I don't even know if the earth is round... And, you know, I mean, okay, fine. You can come here. You have a, you have a safe space. Um, it might not be fully safe because somebody <laughs> might convince you otherwise and, you know, and you might get the judgment look. But um, that's how people are, right? But I, I, think, I think humans need to have transitionary spaces. 
So I also think like this concept of groupthink, which we are seeing in such massive ways, it's part of what polarizes us. It's also part of what creates denominations. Part of what drew, drew us to the UCC is it's like literally the one denomination that's a combination instead of a division, at least the only one I know of. And so that that was really meaningful to us. And so I think this this idea of I'm going to bring my stuff and I'm going to put my stuff out there and I'm going to say I'm not going to hide it. And so I'm going to be authentic, which is um, something, Janelle, you were saying you really value. But I'm also going to invite your authenticity and I'm going to hold really gentle space for that so that like the minute you're willing to be vulnerable and break it all from the group think, I'm going to make a landing space for that because nobody is comfortable in that really boxed in legalistic groupthink. It's really restrictive. It's terrifying because you're always on the cusp of being cast out. And so I think the way to break through that is to make it really clear that when you're ready to make a little bit of a run for it, I'm going to be here and we can make a run for it together. My wife is really smart. She is, she's a lawyer. Um, any other ways in which y'all think out there that we could we could heal, well, or I say cultivate communities of healing? Because I don't know, physician heal thyself. I don't know if we can really heal ourselves. But can we can we do it together? Any sort of methods, if you will? It's because Ryan's wife is a really smart doctor. She is. She's wait, doctor, lawyer. doctor lawyers. Yeah. And you know what? As somebody once told me, you're just a dad. <laughs> It happened. That no person lie. wasn't very smart. They weren't. They weren't. After I, we just had a newborn, and uh, I was telling you this the other day. Oh man, this is a total rabbit trail. But uh, I saw I'm a stay-at-home dad by profession. By the way, I do so, this. So smart in, in Brown. So, so did I tell you this story? You may have. Oh man, so I'm on this email list because I was doing a favor for a friend, and um, he needed a certain amount of people on the list to make it legit for his denomination. I said, "Yeah, put me on the list." And, I, and I'm getting all these emails from this dude. And it's a group email. So he sees me at this festival. And I've got a child strapped onto me, my newborn at the time. And then my other one's running around. And he's like, oh, I haven't heard, haven't heard from you in a while. I was like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Sorry, man. You know, I've been busy. He's, he looks at me. He's like, well, you're just a dad. <laughs> yeah, just a dad. So, um, I mean, any you house- know. <laughs> <laughs> any any mom, any mom could tell you a stay-at-home dad's job is is the hardest thing out there. Brian and I need to do a stay-at-home dad podcast. We really do. Yeah. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, we're just dads. Just dads. <laughs> so I'm like, it's a group email. Nobody replies. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. But I couldn't because I'm too nice. All right. Any other ways in which we can work to heal, help heal communities that have been impacted by groupthink? Any... Uh, ways in which y'all have experienced that out there you will be officially recorded in um the interwebs for eternity by the way until we take down our site (laughs) (laughs) all right well we have 10 minutes any any final thoughts on community by the way now that we've been talking about it you've had a beer you're feeling good so if i thought on beer so these lovely bible bitches gave me this pbr (laughs) <laughs> with their koozer so it's a paps blue ribbon it it but bible pitches is the podcast which we recommend we do not recommend pbr 
<laughs> I thought I would do a, a taste comparison to this Kettle Brew Works out of somewhere lovely in North Carolina, Banner Elk, North Carolina, Kettle Brew Works. Um, I was a little suspicious because it's a Wunderbeer. Um, and it's a lager, and so I don't generally like lagers, but the Wunderbeer is much better than the PBR. So <laughs> that is my communal recommendation on wheat-based beer and things with blue ribbons. <laughs> so we recommend when you're building healthy community that you have good beer. Or gin. And room for not drinking beer. Or whiskey or nothing or whatever people want. I have some lovely kombucha back at our web at our at our campsite that I would be happy to share that yeah. I brewed myself. Yeah. I think that's this is actually we just stumbled into something that's really important. So clearly if you look at our logo, I mean we're into beer. And Denver last year in Denver City, there bounds, there was one new brewery a week. So Denver loves beer, and and we have a hundred in the city. That doesn't include Boulder or any of the suburbs. Just Denver. Huh? More breweries than Starbucks in Denver. <laughs> All right. So, so you know that is part of of how we developed, and it's where we do community. Um, but there is there is no pressure for anyone to to drink alcohol or to cross any sort of boundary they don't want to cross when they come join us, and I think that that's a great idea for church community as well or any healthy community, making space for people to, you know, do what is comfortable for them, and that's okay, and that doesn't impact our conversation it doesn't impact our interaction it means that my gluten-free friend can have cider or water um, that my non-imbibing friend can bring something to drink with them and by making that space and honoring that and not pushing on people about that that also creates safety um, I actually just read an, uh, an article probably on Facebook, you know, about the pressure that a lot of moms face to drink wine, that that's just become kind of a, like a tagline. Like mom juice. Mom juice. Um, you know, I just need to get through the day so I can have a glass of wine. Um, having a lot of like tumblers with wine stuff on it. And the that there's often a sense of shame that comes when someone asks you, well, don't you want to drink? And this mom was describing the many good reasons she had for not imbibing, but felt really pressured um, in those situations because she didn't. And so it's just really important that we let people be who they are and be comfortable doing what's good for them. Um, and that applies both to the drinking and the conversation. So we have some people that come that really don't say a whole lot. They're faithful. They're there every week. They're listening. They're engaged. But they don't say a whole lot sometimes. And then every once in a while, they have a topic or a moment where they just share their heart with you. And that's amazing. And um, we've also, Ryan and I talk about every once in a while, we've had people in crisis that show up at Brew Theology. Now, that's pretty amazing to me that they're looking for some connection. And um, even in what we put online, what we put out there says to them, you're welcome to come here and you can do what you need to do. 
um, those have been really meaningful experiences for me to see that. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we're all up front about this thing, this, this beer thing, but we make sure to make space for people to be who they are and to say, you ready to run? I like that line. I'll run with you. Um, you you need not to, literally though. I'm not going to literally. literally run. No, because I don't and like I running. Not gonna we're going to we'll walk yeah. very fast if you need to. We're, we're not going to actually running. run. Except maybe after Benny. Maybe if he's going towards the river. Benny's my five year old, and yeah. he is he's a human train wreck. Can we you call imagine, him a disastrous. Can person. you imagine Benny and Juice together? Crazy. We're going to have Benny and Juice together at the Goose one of these days. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Juice is Ryan's youngest, Anna. So, yeah. So, so I think the the other just the other thing, and this is um, so North Carolina also has many many breweries. They're popping up every day, partially because we cap how many barrels they can sell. So once they get super popular, the only thing they can do is start a new brewery instead of selling all their barrels everywhere else, or they can sell out to the man, which Wicked Weed did, and we still love them. So you know. Um, you have to get in with the ABC people in order to sell over a certain number of barrels. Not the kind of law I practice, but the kind of law I pay attention to. Um, and I think you also want to pay attention to people in recovery who have yep. lots and lots to teach us. And so, like, the the beer thing is great. I love beer, but my dad's in recovery, and if I'm going to hang out and talk theology with him, in which case I will email you all to pray for me. <laughs> We're not going to drink beer. We're going to go have coffee. And it's yep. not going to be Starbucks because he thinks they burn their beans. So, like, yep. it's going to be Senka or some really terrible stuff. And so it's not about what you're drinking. It's about what are you what are you brewing together. And uh, we honor that. We have a coffee and tea logo uh, that we made specifically on for, that, shirt. for that reason so that everyone can feel welcome. And one of our coffee and tea leaders is here with us at the podcast. So... We want this to be an open space, and um, that can happen no matter what you're drinking. But beer is good. Beer, beer I is still good. Like, beer like beer so beer far. <laughs> Just not PBR. No. no. <laughs> I did try it, though. I, I taste compared it, and I'm just going to tell you it's still terrible. So... They let uh, me try it in bottles in law school. It was also terrible then. But you all, you all have like, yeah, family members that come to town, not going to name names, and they drink a specific kind of beer, like let's say Coors Light or Bud Light. Miller. And you, and then you go Miller to a place like Light. Denver, which is the crappier capital of America, and you say, here, we're going to have a flight of beer. Try these that kind of taste similar to Coors Light. Here's and, all the wit beer. And you know what? At the end of the day, they go back to Coors Light. So we had to affirm all palates as well. We really do. Also, if you want to drink all day, Coors Light is a reasonable choice. It's like drinking water. Yeah. It'll it's, keep you it's hydrated. A, it's the most lawnmower of lawnmower beers there is. Dogfish Head also, though, makes a beer that will literally keep you hydrated. It's like lime and sea salt, and it's a sour, yes, and it's good. amazing. It's only 4%. It's fabulous. When I saw the 4%, I'm like, this is not only sessionable, but it's crushable. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Amen. There we go. So this was a very great communal bonding time over beer. If you want to do it over coffee, if you're listening online, we have a leadership guide to get you started. Also, a moderator guide for your moderators out there. You can find all the information at brewtheology.org. Send us an email, Janelle or Ryan at brewtheology.org. And thanks to Brian and Bridget for meeting us at the Goose and doing this. Happy to be here. Thank you, Ross Jennings, for putting this on.
now for a little song by someone in the audience. Thank you all for coming. Black song for you guys. Oh, song. Here's to beer yes. with a taste like beer. Ever glass of wholesome cheer. Noble brew that has no fear. Beer that tastes like beer. And there's a lot more birds. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I love it. Do we need a theme song for the podcast? We need to get that. Yeah. Can we find that online? <laughs> And now, please join us for a few outtakes. Bing bong! Janelle is a professional. Professional. Theology. I'm here. My name's Ryan. I like beer and burping. How is Ian doing? He's doing great. How do I know that? Because he's sitting here. I love it. I love it. It's really good. Um, today we will be talking about community. Does it help us or harm us? Talk now. Community. Don't spit in the mic. Don't pretend to be in New Mexico where it's not humid. I don't have any trouble getting close to the microphone. <laughs> it does sound really weird. How come Hashtag this not amplified that there's our... Oh, I can say whatever I want. You, you can't, can't stop me. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> Bingo. Bingo, 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 Mine's not there either. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah I, I mine's will. Mine's just said, yeah. So. Yeah, hello, hello. No, no, no. Oh, that's a weird noise. <laughs> so that, that's your <laughs> diaphragm problem. You would just want me to talk. Yeah, mine's working just fine. And so I'll keep talking because it's still working. Give me some heat. There we go. Now we're talking. Jessica's in the house. Watch out. I'm a pirate podcaster. That's her backup here.